Episode 6, Chimps in Space. Welcome back. back to the Monkey Soup Podcast. All right. Today's episode, as you already know, is Chimps in Space. We're going to be talking about everything space, space travel, mankind's future in space. Aliens. Aliens, of course. <laughs> On the podcast today, we got Corey. Hello, everybody, again. Back again. All right, let's do it. Chimps in Space, talking about everything about space travel. Space travel nowadays is about the equivalent of the Oregon Trail. Yep. We're going to be looking back on this, like, 200 years, the same way we look back this 1800s, right? It's like, wow, we were amateurs back then. Absolutely. Like, like going west, right, math, best destiny. Same deal now, except instead of going west to California, you're going west into known space, discovering the galaxy. Actually, at that point, you're traveling, Mars at, trail. you're traveling in 3D space, and we don't really have a concept of west. That's that's very true. So Out. Just we're, going. Yeah, we're going, we're going <laughs> that, that general direction, right? It's the wild space, guys. Go up, right. guys. Go straight up. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of a crazy thought, though, to kind of like think about the amount of progress we've made as a human race in the last hundred years. Like, we went from flying to like commercialized air travel. Now we're going from the origins of like space travel, beginnings of NASA, and to actually to the 2030 initiative. So. Like so commercialized space travel. Well, even before yeah. that, we learned that the Earth is not flat. <laughs> Most and, uh, important stuff, yeah. Everything does not revolve around Earth. Yes, we have a, uh, you know, thanks to Copernicus, another great... Galileo. Galileo, those, right, yep. All those great, crazy yep. people before us. Speaking to this, uh, back in the 60s, there was a program called NASA that was kind of birthed, and this was the space race. I've never heard of NASA before. Let's hear more about that. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> it's totally not in the news. <laughs> so, uh, J- no, we love NASA. Yeah, so JFK's administration started NASA back whenever uh, Sputnik yeah, happened. Yeah, right, and then the space race happened. So Sputnik was the Russians' first module, right. and uh, everyone had no idea what the Russians were doing. Uh, they just sent this thing up into space. Uh, it made huge headlines. Yep. And people assumed that they were going to use it to spy. The Kremlin was trying to, you know, gain intelligence on America's missiles and everything else. Yeah, it was absolute paranoia. Yep. Absolutely crazy. So NASA was kind of birthed out of fear. and Yeah, I, I, it's kind of funny you say it because Neil deGrasse Tyson makes a great speech about this very thing, about how, like, there, there are only two things that really innovate, like, space travel. And one of them is for economic means. The other one is for, uh, like, war-type applications. Mm-hmm. And he's he's right. So either there's a great profit to be gained or there's some fear-type response we have to employ. So we didn't beat the Russians to space, but we did put a man on the moon in 10 years. Absolutely. And that, yep. it's a great accomplishment. Our first orbiter trip, I believe, was back in the 60s. And, well, it was Apollo. Yeah, the Apollo mission, which happened late after that. <laughs> According to Apollo 18. <laughs> Apollo 18, <laughs> which, so, of course, classified this off the books. Right? Yeah, so John Glenn back in uh, 1962. Mm-hmm. That's right, 62. Yeah, yeah, he was the first man to actually leave the atmosphere, right? Well, so yeah. fifth person in space, but okay. first to orbit Earth. First to orbit. So that wasn't the moon mission. No, 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 that was long before the moon mission. That's right. Yeah. The first moon landing was actually Apollo 11 in 1969. That was it, 69. 69. Okay, we didn't know the exact date on that. Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong. 
Yeah, which is crazy to think about because if you were Buzz or Neil, right, and you're going up into space, that was a one-way trip. It's like they did not expect to come back. They did not expect the mission to go as well as it did. And it really, for all things considered, right, like we have more technology in our cell phones than they did on the first Apollo 11 mission or on the, on the Apollo mission, right? Mm-hmm. So it's incredible to think that they actually not only did it but also survived it. Well, so what's even crazier is that uh, Buzz Aldrin is still alive. Yes. Uh, he's 84. And uh, Neil Armstrong died back in 2012. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely made a headliner, too. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, so let's talk about what NASA's up to right now. So the Mars 2030 initiative. Mm-hmm. It's this giant plan, basically, where over the next six, 2014 or now, so the next 16 years, they're going to establish a known route to allow for regular space travel to and from NASA. They're going to try to be able to... I mean, to and from Mars. To and from, to and from NASA. Well, we, I think we can already <laughs> do that, right? I'm pretty sure so, yeah. ITN's a way to get to NASA. Yeah, yeah so we uh, we got to figure out how to get to NASA <laughs> you can, you first, can right? There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to Mars. And then uh, after that, you know, the rest of the local cluster and into the rest of the galaxy so yeah it's, it's kind of the first steps into what we can do is space travel well so this whole process is taking a lot of controversy and putting putting a lot of people on edge because now they have this uh, one-way ticket to mars program that they're starting up and has been making some headlines across the oh, world oh yeah yeah oh yeah everyone uh, wants to be a part of it australia's got four people Right. Well, I like let's talk about that. So, like Australia didn't just start with four people though. There were hundreds of people who volunteered for this and they narrowed it down to four people. Well, so one report I saw uh read that over 200,000 individuals had applied. That's incredible. Wow. Like slim pickings, huh? <laughs> well, and, and the best part is the people know like this is going to more than likely be a one-way trip. Like it's like you probably won't be coming. You're probably coming back, right? So it's no like no souvenirs for the kids. <laughs> And, but uh, also, you know, the the shops in Mars are pretty scarce. Like, you know, they they don't have very much to offer. Right? Yeah, you can pick. Sorry, up, no, no. Uh, pick um, up a few rocks. Maybe some like no ice snow water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some some like ancient traces. Oh my gosh! Here's well, a rock. So, uh, Mar- Martian corpse. On that note, uh, we get, one American man is actually looking to. As of January, he was one of the first thousand or eleven hundred people to be selected for the program. This would be Tim Gowan. Gowan probably mispronouncing that, but uh, he's from University City, Missouri. Uh, but so his story is interesting because it brings to light a lot of the complications that come with making a decision like this. You would think anybody that would want to do a one-way ticket to Mars would be like a loner or a drifter or... Yeah, people we, with a lot or nothing to lose, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we've had discussions about how, like, you know, what if they took uh, prison inmates who are on death row? <laughs> That's my idea. And, Patent uh, pending. <laughs> Oh put, put, put that in the just drop them <laughs> i just really want to know if we can survive up there so let's just send someone who already you know he's done so many bad things that he needs to die so it's like okay uh let's take off your helmet let's see if we'll survive up here y'all <laughs> a laser cannon death sentence <laughs> yeah, you've definitely picked the draw of uh, the short straw buddy <laughs> just drop them off see how long they last for yeah well so tim here has uh he's got a family He's a he's got a wife and a kid, and um, apparently, whenever he told his parents that he was going to go, they were like, "No, it's really kind of a heart wrenching thing because uh, the wife and the kid are not happy about it, but his wife also understands that it's been his life dream." Yeah, trying to go, show support on that going into space, and, and I would imagine I, I I could liken it to uh, you know somebody going into the military who has a family, yeah. and uh, you know having to send them off, you know, and they get shipped off to serve wherever they're stationed at. 
and uh, not knowing if they're going to come back. Right. Well, yeah. But at least they do have a ticket back if they live. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. With the I, Mars thing. In some ways, Mars is a lot more severe, right? Because yeah. it's like there's it, it's clearly likely one way ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the humanity side of it, like you got to look at it like uh, he's got a one way ticket to his dream of mm-hmm. accomplishing yeah. something, but at the same time, he's leaving a family behind, knowing that you know there, there's no way for him to be back for them. If no. anything, it's just commitment. Yeah. Like I, I don't think many people, right? They wouldn't be able to make that internal decision. Yeah. Saying like, I can just yeah. go ahead and just abandon everything I've built on Earth just to yeah. go to a different everything planet. Yeah. Well, that's birthdays, it's recitals, graduations. I mean, None of that. He's getting a yeah. lot of flack from people about it, but at the same time, like you know. Well, also have have they? Because you know that that made some some news, some you know notice. But I mean, the the four people from Australia, the have they talked about them at all? Like, what is their background? That's recent. They, yeah, they that, really I, have yeah. Nothing? There'll probably be more on that in the near future. Okay. I, I have to think though, with Australia, you get like not just hundreds, but thousands of people to sign up for this. Like, it's almost competitive. <laughs> yeah. Like people. No, I'm going to go. I'm yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like so, astronauts, they go through years of training, yeah, in order just to be able to handle the g forces and the effects of you know zero gravity. I guess that's and, why they're doing this. They're figuring it out now, so they can train for you said twenty thirty. Twenty thirty. Ideal well, date. Twenty twenty five is another specific date that they've announced. Yeah, like um, along the, along the like the path of twenty thirty, right? So over the next sixteen years, they have dates that they want to reach certain goals by. Okay. So yeah, twenty twenty. So like by twenty thirty, they want to have like the entire thing established to where you can have at least rudimentary regular space travel. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they're planning on having actually not just one way but round trip oh, yeah, no, no, by but, 20. By 2030, they want to have like space routes established. I thought we were sending those well, guys. Well, okay, hold on. We're yeah. talking about colonizing, so eventually they're planning to just ship people there. Right, eventually, yeah. We're going to have some, like, yeah, terraforming, space colonization. Bus. Right. But that's probably a little further out. 2030 is going to be like that initial mark of like, this is potentially sustainable, right? And then from there, they can actually go on to like, okay, now we can colonize, we can go to this planet now. So it's like, you know, building to Mars, then it's going to be building to Jupiter, it's going to be building outside the galaxy. So these are just, like, points that they have to work up to. So, yeah, uh, really interesting story, and we can't wait to see what more progresses on that. But some more recent news, we're not making it to Mars yet, but we are going into space soon. Right, commercialization. So uh, Virgin Galactic. Good old uh, Richard Branson. Richard Branson, brainchild, uh, has initialized a space program for commercialized travel. Right. And that's kind of been making a few waves here and there. And the funny thing about about Virgin Galactic, though, which is why it's, I guess, just different enough from, like, the other programs going on, like SpaceX, is that they want to do these little suborbital taxis. Mm -hmm. That's what they are. It's not, like, actual, like, long-distance space travel. It's just put you into orbit, take you around the Earth, and then put you in another spaceport you know at your desired destination it's like a right. a tour tour guide bus it's more like uh, almost like the jetsons yeah it's almost like the dead oh, exactly okay, yeah. uh, th- those cars can go to outer space too yeah well, we'll, <laughs> well maybe it's not quite as advanced as the jetsons so. we'll make it <laughs> right. there well it's, eventually it's, okay. yeah eventually but so uh, Elon Musk taking the more practical approach with his SpaceX, which mm-hmm. is more of a transport system than it actually, you know, is a taxi fare service. Right. Uh, they recently completed their first successful delivery to the International Space Station. Yep. Uh, which is kind of a big deal. They transported both materials and humans. Yep. Uh, so it's capable of supporting both types of cargo, live and inorganic. Uh, and honestly, that's really promising. Commercialized, you Absolutely know, is. shipping. I would love to see if UPS picks up on that. The, uh, the, the Dragon Space Capsule, there's only been one that's been 
launch to the space station and come back, and it's already been put in a museum. Mm-hmm. Like people, like this could be like one of those things we look back on, like the first one, first of many. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's, so. that's the plan. But yeah, so SpaceX been in development since 2002. I, I didn't know that until recently, and it just kind of blew my mind because it took them over 10 years of just like planning, gathering like resources and materials, and well, yeah, dude, it takes 10 out. years to put a man on the moon. Well, yeah, and it takes 10 years to figure out how to actually make a privatized well the, the Falcon rocket and then the Dragon. Well, that's that. the reason why it was privatized. You yeah. got to have your funding, and the, the government funded the whole right. uh, the moon landing project. Yeah, and that's another good point too. Is that SpaceX had to kind of deal with NASA, right, and then the Air Force and other things like that to try to actually be able to launch in general. It's really interesting to see what the implications of that are because we've had this concept of commercialized airspace. Well, now you're going to have commercialized air launch space. Yes. And uh, the FTA is going to have to do some really fun stuff there. It's going to be interesting to see how this whole process evolves as time goes forward. Yeah, I'm really impressed just by and large with like Elon Musk and, and that's SpaceX, Tesla, just like all those little initiatives are going on. A little. They're pretty big initiatives. But yeah, so it's definitely interesting stuff. He's definitely ruffling some feathers. Oh, yeah. But that's... <laughs> I feel like that's his main thing. He just wants to get around. He's a disruptive presence. Oh, he, he's a, he's the epitome of disruptive technology. And, and the thing about him is that he's introducing multiple disruptive technologies. He really is kind of a revolutionary in that well, he's regard. open sourcing a lot of it. Uh, Tesla recently open sourced their patents. Yeah, and, uh, that was a big deal. Well, so here's the cool BM- thing. BMW already met with them. Well, guess what? Yeah. The really cool thing about that, as I read it, is not only are they not going to actively sue anyone for infringing on those patents, what they're doing is they're effectively using that as a guardianship to prevent other big companies from wanting to sue people for uh, technology. So they basically bought it out safeguarding. Yeah. Yes. Well, they're also incentivizing uh, electric travel because, like, by BM- I think BMW is the first uh, manufacturer to meet with them. But they're, they're trying to get all the other ones to start adopting the electric engine as well, so more of the mainstream. Yeah. So part of what I read on that was uh, their pu- their press release for it was saying that the real threat to innovation is patent law. And so if they can do this and not actively sue anybody for use of this and actually open source it to that extent, that will further propagate the technology and thus you know, lead to innovations. Yeah. But the bigger thing is that they realize the bigger threat to their business is gas and big petrol. And so the more more technology they can throw at this and the more innovation they can get, they could eventually move it to the commercialized market and make it consumer-grade purchasable by, I think, I think they're like 10 years out on their plan right now. Yeah, I, I can't wait until uh, like because right now, right, everybody thinks a car, everybody thinks your traditional car, mm-hmm. and th- like really, what needs to happen is a change of mindset to where people actually are like electric vehicles are sustainable, they're completely normal. So like, your definition of a car has to kind of grow into that. Yeah. Well, so that being said, NASA has announced a new engine for space travel. This is promising. Travel, yeah. Which sounds interesting. Um, very few reports on what it actually is. Uh, it's, it's in testing phases right now. Yeah. What is it? It's a plasma engine for lack of a better word it's going to exponentially cut down by like a huge percentage uh, space travel time so by implementing this engine for right now like everybody here is like oh you know planets you know 42 light years out or something like that how are we ever going to get there well this engine might actually be the answer because yeah. right now that's that seems like an incredible distance of just you know insurmountable but thanks to these kinds of developments we might actually be able to do that and what would normally take months maybe years of you know travel like we're talking an extreme push forward like we're talking borderline star Trek here. Yeah. Just like as far as space travel actually becoming tangible. 
and the first time that we can actually control where the ship is going. Because before, it wasn't it just like launch at the right time and like catch the orbit correctly? Well, so we're using so a lot of there's, um, angular momentum and a whole bunch of like... Yeah. There we go. Yeah, so like with this, it's like... Actual fire, space navigation. Yeah, fire can't like survive in space because there's no atmosphere, but this plasma fuel, like it, you know, it can actually project it in well, the So right effectively, the, the modules that we have currently use sort of a compressed air component. Yeah. And the problem is there's not really enough matter in space to really push against i mean there is but there's very little of it it's very spread out so being able to make fine adjustments is about all they can really do making course adjustments and be able to actually like circumnavigate any one particular astral body is pretty much impossible at this point but this new technology i mean that could be pretty crazy it could be crazy obviously i'm no expert on it we're just kind of reading like has been released so far right because it's pretty pretty much under wraps yeah Mm -hmm. it's kind of confidential kind of in testing stays like we said but yeah it's really promising and obviously it's something to be really optimistic about as far as the future of space travel i would love to see them announce it by flying it over the white house <laughs> and then have like a like a pseudo independence day kind of thing going oh, oh people would freak that, out yeah, that, I mean, a- aliens finally show up yeah well at least that we know of aliens of like and then one of the one party. of the designer yeah. uh one of the designers comes out and she's like hey guys <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it needs that spotlight, like they're about to abduct a cow. But <laughs> I don't know about levitation or teleportation or none of that yet. Well, I'm just saying we'll they, they just oh. need the light just for the effect. It doesn't have to actually do anything. Now, I, when they release this, I want to know what their plans are for a warp drive. We'll put yeah, some horsepower in this that'd be cool. And this could be the the next step towards our future cars that we've been promised since the jets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't wait till we have flying cars. <laughs> That'd be kind of oh, cool. Oh god, accidents the would be. Jams. Uh, yeah, accidents would be awful. Yeah, they could be. We have, <laughs> well, so imagine that's if, a whole uh, new. Yeah, we're, we're trying to figure out electric cars right now. <laughs> we, we, well, we can't be sure. Uh, Google's automated car. <laughs> yeah. Right. Automated that's air taxis. Kinda... Uh, that that's definitely the way things would probably go. Yeah. I think that would eliminate all congestion. Definitely, probably. But yeah, uh, but then it, I it think definitely turns into Wally, where we're too dependent on everybody's got a little floating technology yeah. well, no, taking us up, places. Up, we're just up. gonna be like obesity is gonna increase even more. Effectively, what you're <laughs> just get taxied around all day. Well, yeah. so effectively, what you're doing is you, it's a robot gondola. Kind of just takes you where right. you need to go. Right. It's pretty freeform. There's very little traffic, and it's automated traffic management. Like, imagine if you were up in the sky and like you know this lane of travel has too much congestion, and you're trying to get just a little bit further east of town you could just divert and have another lane of traffic happen it's all automated right and then tracking systems could actually manage this sort of like the fta does or anything like that effectively it kind of removes the need for anything uh short of sub you know orbit travel yeah there's a lot of things that we need to refine before we get to that point though (laughs) but yeah freaking cool yeah i definitely don't end up in the wally future but at the same time though i i really kind of have like a different kind of off subject kind of on subject too like you know i I really don't think we're gonna get obese like in in wally i think it's gonna be a little different because right now we have this like stigma it's like don't be fat you know like get in shape be healthy you know and all of Everybody like we look up to are like really healthy and stuff. So I almost think that we're gonna have like a uh, a push where it's like even though things become increasingly like we, we might have like self driving cars and things, but at the same time we have a push to like be personally like attractive and healthy and things like Maybe that. Maybe the robot gondolas will also be a gym. Oh, it'll there be you go. A, a moving. Could you imagine gym? Yeah. <laughs> being able to do your workout on your way to work? Yeah, you would. Yeah, well, that you wouldn't have to drive. You wouldn't have to yeah. worry about that. And yeah, so. that works out actually because I have a shower at my office. There you go. Yeah. 
So there's a lot. Awesome. We we have something going on here. That's, uh... I I really think that well yeah because you could read you could like you know you could work on that report you didn't finish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You could surf the internet. Could you know students can finish whatever. their last minute homework or get ready for the test. Th- th- there's a there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, but yeah, that's idea. that's probably still in the not too distant future. It'll turn uh, food trucks into a whole new thing. Oh, <laughs> well, eventually you'll be able to three D print food. So right, yeah, you probably won't need that. So uh, turning our sights away from Earth for a minute, we have news about the Hubble Space Telescope getting an upgrade. Uh, so a couple years back it actually got a number of updates um, mostly in it, how it communicates with our communication stations down here. Uh, it's got some updated hardware that allows it to do some better image processing. Uh, it's now capable of looking further uh, than it was previously. There you go. And now we have this theory that there's so much of the universe that we can't see because of ambient light. Uh, most of our galaxies are basically star-based, um, so there's a lot of light being given off by those. Mm-hmm. And that ambient light is preventing it from actually allowing us to see beyond those stars and be able to see the objects behind them. Uh, they liken that effect to uh, having a sun visor in your car that allows you to see the road whenever it's dusk. Yeah, totally. So they're, they're using a similar approach. What they're doing is they're building a giant solar shade or a lens shade. And uh, this thing is huge, like 30-plus meters of diameter. And what they're planning to do is launch this thing, and what it'll do is it'll hover in front of a specific position that the space telescope is trying to look at, and what it'll do is it'll block the ambient light. It will allow the space telescope to see beyond the aura of that star. It's actually, Yeah, it's a great idea. It could allow us to find more uh, habitable planets, other habitable planets. It could allow us to discover, you know, new information about planets that we already know that exist. Part of what they actually do is they take a spectral analysis of planets based on uh, what sort of data they can get back from just the light-based data. And the crazy thing about that is we can figure out a lot about how stars are, like what their mass is, what they're chemically made up of. All sorts of things based off of spectral analysis of the light being sent to Earth. Yeah. And prove that they really are just planets that exploded mm-hmm. well, like, light years away. Well, so For the longest time, that's what people used to kind of identify planets. Because like, we didn't really have, before a telescope, before other sorts of like more modern technology came along, we had to rely on those means to kind of figure out, was this a planet or not? Yeah. And so light pollution here on Earth is actually, you know, breaking that down a little bit. Having the Hubble Space Telescope be able to do this, we've got to actually be able to allow us to do a whole lot of really yeah. cool stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of potential with this, which is why it's a, it's a great idea for many reasons. But yeah, so this thing is interesting. So when you think of a shade, you think of like, you know, a giant disc of some sort. Well, that's basically what this is, but instead of having a flat, round edge... What it actually has is a series of serrated blades that come off the edge of it. And what that does is it acts as a diffuser. It breaks up the light more, which actually creates a much more reliable block, so to speak. But yeah, being able to look further into the universe from our vantage point, we actually might be able to find some place we can go live. Well, yeah, what is it? It's like two or three potentially habitable Earth-like planets we found already. Within our own galaxy. Within our own galaxy, right. So there could be multiple, if not infinite others, right, depending on what you subscribe to. We live in an expanding universe, right? And then on top of that, we also found this new super planet. Uh, yeah. And the super planet definitely seems promising because it's just it's really what it's going to be is a first of many. Because once we have the telescope upgraded and the new uh, lens and everything else, or shade, 
then at that point, we're going to be able to see much more of this and look beyond our known galaxy and figure out, you know, what exactly else is out there and figure out where all the aliens are inhabiting. And it could also, all this, is like, progresses at the same time, you know, with the plasma fuel, with the, all that, with the, you know, the Mars trail. Like, it could expand to these habitable planets. Oh, but that's the plan, dude. I, yeah, like, yeah. I think we're, we're we eventually... We actually see firsthand... We're going to have networks established that people yeah. are going to drive around similar to like what we think of as a highway now, except in space. Spaceway. Right. BBC's got some information on this, but scientists recently discovered what they call the Godzilla of Earths. That's terrifying. There's <laughs> Godzilla there. Yeah, so this is a this <laughs> is a so. planet Dinosaur with a mass there. that they theorize is somewhere around 17 times that of Earth. What? Yeah, this is categorized. That is giant, yeah. This is categorized as a mega-Earth. Yeah. longer than four hours to fly, anyway. But so this is Kepler-10c. Uh, it orbits a star about 560 light-years away, and they, they recently announced this at the American Astronom- uh, Astronomical Society meeting in Boston. Mm-hmm. Of course they would. But so it's interesting because they don't really know what it is or what makes it up, but the images that they have of it show it to be fairly mountainous. Uh, it definitely has an atmosphere because they have cloud formations on it. Cool. Sounds very Earth-like already. Um, and some of the more recent research has shown that it's possible that a lot of these super planets or super Earths could even have water. Yeah, water's a big one, right. Um, so the fact that any one of these planets could potentially have all those factors means that it could be a hospitable environment yeah, for completely, life. Yeah, completely. Yeah, habitable planet, right. for us to go and, you know, potentially colonize. Now, does it have, like, you know, a lot of planets, kind of like, you know, Jupiter or whatever is kind of yellowy and... You know, obviously it's a gas planet or, you know, all that stuff. Like, you know, is the coloration similar to Earth as well? Not really. So the images that they have of it are more, uh, they, they have a lot of yellow and warm tones, uh, a lot of reds and oranges. And I, I think I attribute that to the fact that it could have a very large iron composition to the Earth, okay. or to the surface of it. Similar to how Mars is. Mars is a yeah. very high iron concentration, and so that oxidation uh, that yeah, occurs... Uh, it depends on the, on the elemental composition of the planet, right? Yeah. So Mars is actually brown, but because of the iron oxide that's in the atmosphere due to windstorms and everything else, it actually causes it to look red. Fascinating. Learned something new today, yeah. It's mm. kind of cool. But yeah, space is still a mystery. The future and is bright. We are learning a lot. Yeah, slowly but surely we are uncovering the mysteries out there. And hopefully we'll figure out where all the aliens are. Like the inner giant intergalactic council of aliens. That pro- <laughs> That's probably out there somewhere. We'll find you. <laughs> All right, awesome. So that's uh, our episode. Kind of the episode, yeah. So definitely give us a shout out, tweet us, let us know what you think in the comments, and about the world of tomorrow. Yeah, what do you think about space? Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>